gospel, started a house church in his hometown of Colossae, in the house of Philemon. Years later, he joins the Apostle Paul in house arrest in Rome. Paul is with Onesimus, which you'll hear more about Onesimus in the book of Philemon. And he writes this letter to encourage the believers, to warn them of threats to their faith, to instruct and inspire them to Christian spiritual maturity. And he commends his brother Onesimus, who was once a slave and now is a brother, to be brought back into the community. Chapters, there's, there's only four chapters in this book. So it's shorter than when we preach through First and Second Chronicles in one sermon. So this is four chapters. The first two chapters are more doctrinal about the supremacy of Christ. How great and awesome he is. The second two chapters, chapter three and four, are more practical and pastoral in talking about submission to Christ. First two chapters is the supremacy of Christ. The second two chapters are submission to Christ. And I'd like to make this note that Paul writes this letter with comprehensive language repeating words like complete, fullness, all. The word all is used 32 times in 28 verses. A lot of these verses is referring to Christ and all things with Christ. But he also says things like, in all my prayers for you, that you would have all wisdom. But this is comprehensive language. This, this is a, a message that applies to all things. Applies to all parts of your lives as well as mine. And I'd like to read the, the verse that will focus our topic this morning. Colossians 1, 28 to 29. And I don't have, I don't have a, a slide for this particular one. Colossians 1, 28 to 29. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is God's word. So would you join me in, in prayer that we, would, that we would be saturated with God's word. This week we would understand how Christ is worthy of all things. That we would grow in maturity, in faith. Jesus, we thank you for being here with us. Lord, we, we thank you that you are Lord over all. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning from your word, and that, Holy Spirit, you would work within our hearts and minds 
to grow into fullness in full spiritual maturity for the glory of Christ, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our topic today is about growing in Christ in fullness of maturity. The book of Colossians urges us to grow in full spiritual maturity. I'll say that again. The book of Colossians urges us to grow in full spiritual maturity. So this morning we're going to cover four main points. Firstly, the desire for maturity. Secondly, false understandings of maturity. Thirdly, true maturity. And fourthly, how to reach maturity. So the desire, the false understandings, what it truly is, and how to reach spiritual maturity. So let's begin. The desire for maturity. We consider Paul's desire, which was fueled by the Holy Spirit. This is God's desire reflected through the Apostle Paul. He says, Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that, this is so that, we're doing all these things, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's why we're doing this. Warning, instructing, inspiring, encouraging you all with all wisdom so that everyone would be mature in Christ. And for this I toil. He's, he's working towards this, struggling with all his energy, all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul, like a loving parent, desires for God's children to grow into their full potential, to grow into full maturity. It's normal for a parent to have to remind their young children to clean up their rooms or to, or to wash their hands. But it's a little bit strange if they have to phone their grown-up children saying, sweetie, remember to clean your room. Sweetie, or remember to wash your hands after using the bathroom. It's cute when you your parents hand feed you as a baby. Here comes the aeroplane, or what do you do, the train, or here comes the sky train. But it's totally different if they still do it when you're in high school, or if you're in your mid-40s. It's understandable for a child to cry if their ice cream falls to the ground. We had this happen in Ontario. I don't know if they cried, but it was very sad. Or if they have a temper tantrum in the mall. But it's a little different if an adult does this. Could you imagine an adult having a temper tantrum in the mall? On the ground, kicking and screaming, I want the newest toy. I want the newest iPhone. 
just as we'd want to eventually grow into mature adulthood in terms of responsibility, capability, and emotionally. In the same way, we should desire for ourselves and for those we care about to grow into spiritual maturity. Parents want to present their grown-up kids as mature as they go into the world. And that's why Paul is proclaiming and warning everyone so that we can be presented mature, every one of us mature in Christ before God and before others. He toils for this. He works hard, struggling for, to this end. He so desires this for us because God desires this and God fuels him for that. Let's consider the logical progression of the gospel. This is how things go. We know all sorts of ways in which people are known for their title, role, or responsibility, but have not lived up to public expectations. Uh, consider uh, in recent events, you call yourself a police officer, someone who fights for justice and peace, but then this happens. You call yourself an ambassador representing our country, but then this happens. You call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, but then this happens. There should be a logical progression of the gospel. When we follow Jesus, we expect to walk in his ways. When we trust in Jesus, we expect to trust in him, and then our actions follow that way. Chapter 1, verse 9 says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Who wants the knowledge of God's will? A couple of you. Well, you might get it this morning. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We pray that you would be filled with his knowledge and his will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, this is, this is why, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That your walk not just that you, you walk in a certain way, but you, the way that you live out your life is equivalent to what you describe in your faith. It's worthy of what you believe. It is fitting for what you believe. Worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord... So walk in him. This is the logical progression. One commentator put it this way. Because believers are rooted in him, alive with him, hidden in him, and complete in him, it is utterly inconsistent for them to live life without him. So... That is the desire 
for maturity. Now let's look at false understandings of maturity. Because we might say, okay, we desire maturity, and then just go out, amen, and we can get tied up with all sorts of misunderstandings of maturity. So now false understandings of maturity. Our culture has misunderstandings of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. On one hand, some conservative groups may fall into what some call toxic masculinity. To be a man is to wear plaid or to suppress the emotions and not cry or treating sex as a sport or competition with their peers or they have to be muscular and violent to be truly a man. On the other hand, some progressives find it hard to even define what is a man or what is a woman. Some say it's defined by whatever you want to define it as. Just as our culture has misunderstandings about what it means to be a man or a woman, in the same way, the first century churches had some major misunderstandings of what it meant to grow up spiritually, to be a mature spiritual man or woman. Colossae had a mix of influences, philosophers and alternative spirituality. Most of the major philosophers of that era were from the area right nearby. So like Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates and stuff like that, they, they'd all be right around that region. And so there's influences from various philosophies. And then there's also, there's a mix of Greek culture and Jewish culture. There's dualism. There's a distinction between, the people thought there's a distinction between spiritual, which is good, and then physical, which is bad. There was a belief in this middleman realm between the physical and the spiritual. Of the, there's the angels, there's demigods, there's the authorities that created the universe. All these different spiritualities that are involved in this world. And maybe it was a, a multitude of little gods that were creating different parts of our world. Hinduism or other faiths would, would attribute, well, there's the god of the air, there's the god of the ground, there's the god of prosperity, there's the god of this. And that would be very similar here. There were the dualists, the Gnostics, who believed in asceticism, of weakening the flesh, and so building up the spirit. The more that you're beating up your body, the stronger your spirit is. And sometimes when we feel weak in our body, yeah, our, we, we turn to God, we press into God, and we feel more faith. But that, that, that was their philosophy, was asceticism. And they, they wanted to be freed from physical, constraint, physical constraints to grow spiritually. Said so to, to live in the body is bad. It's better to just leave this old husk and be a spiritual being. So then there was legalism. Colossians 2.16 says, 
Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, in regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. There was a Jewish culture saying, follow all these parts of the law, and, and this is the way to be spiritually mature. Follow these festivals. And there would be uh, Gentile Christians who are saying, we've never followed this. And they say, well, you're not as mature. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or festivals or days. There was hyper-spirituality as a misunderstanding. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Some Christians in Colossae subscribed to Jesus Plus. They syncretized or fused together a smorgasbord of spirituality to make their own version, which they thought maybe was superior, more mature. And David, you, you, you touched on this last week about what, what other voices are you listening to in the world? What other authorities are you listening to in the world? Try to create your own, perhaps more mature, more uh, learned version of spirituality. The Apostle Paul is saying, make sure no one takes you captive by these things, whether it be human tradition, philosophy, alternative teachings, even other spiritualities. Colossians 2, 18-23 says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So some people would be led astray, thinking spiritually maturity is like knowing all the philosophy taking in other spiritualities, following all the parts of the law. Maybe it's more of a heady obedience kind of spirituality. And others would say it's, it's all about this mysticism of worshiping angels, and it's all about the visions, and it's departing from being focused on Christ. And he says in verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to humans, human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These things of saying, oh, don't, don't touch this, don't taste this, follow all these rules, 
and you'll be spiritually mature. He's saying this alone, trying to make your own boundaries and guidelines is not going to actually truly transform your heart. So no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. One error is being sensuous in mind, and one error is severity to the body, or super spiritual encounters and visions. Well, that people that try to, they, they say, I've had these visions, and then they try to shape new doctrines. That's where lots of cults come from. Uh, Mormonism, uh, what was it, uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, say, well, our, our, our leader, Joseph Smith, had these visions, and he had these experiences, and so we, we have these new parts that need to be added to the Bible. And the Apostle Paul would say, make sure no one takes you captive or disqualifies you by these things. Beware of conspiracies or rogue, vogue spiritual theories that are radically new and foreign to historical theology. You have to be wise and not just swallow it up. There have been a lot of faithful, wise Christians who have been faithful to read the scriptures throughout the years. And as we take that all together, you're, you're on much better footing than someone that, ooh, that's new. Oh, that, that sounds interesting. Oh, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll believe in this new thing. No one else believes this. I might be special. I'm one of the few who believes this very rogue theory. Be careful. Now, we've looked at the, the, the misunderstandings, the false understandings of maturity. Now, let's consider what true maturity is. True maturity in attitudes and actions, firstly. He says in chapter 3, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. This is, this is how we should dress as Christians, spiritual fashion. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or, and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Jesus defines our identity. Jesus is our prime identity. He says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another. If you have someone who's annoying, but you should love them, bear with one another. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. 
so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So that's, that's true maturity in actions and attitudes. And then this, this tran transfers over in logical progression to true maturity in relationships. We've just read this verse, but it points out how in the gospel, in Christ, we're not to be divided by status or ethnicity. No Greek or Jew. No circumcised, uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. All are in Christ. We shouldn't be divided by status or ethnicity, your background, your, your history, your family lineage. And true maturity happens in all sorts of relationships. It says in chapter 3, verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So it's, it's just undercutting any imbalance in how people are treating each other. Yeah, there's still roles. You know, some, some have quoted a, a, a verse, I think it's in Galatians. There is no male or female, Jew or Greek, uh, slave or free. Um, and they're saying, ah, there's no males or females. There's no distinctions. So I'm a man or I'm a woman. It's like, no, that's not what he's talking about because he still addresses men and women in their roles. He still talks about masters and slaves in their roles, but all are in Christ. We're all equal in footing, in salvation, in our identity. And so we live out of that identity in our roles, in unity. And this doesn't look like power imbalance. This doesn't look like abuse of power. It looks like love and service and unity. And then there's true maturity in speech. True maturity in speech. He already talked about do not lie to one another. Uh, in chapter 3, I think it's verse 16, he talks about having the word of Christ well in you richly, and then you're speaking, you're singing out songs and hymns and spiritual songs in your hearts. Uh, this isn't on the slides. Uh, but so it's speaking with your speech is, is saturated with the good news of Jesus, speaking good news to one another, singing out, having a song of faith on your heart. But here in, in chapter 4, verse 2, it's about having this speech that is you're thinking outwardly, speaking the good news of the gospel to those around you. 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, 
being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, clearly speaking of Jesus to others. He continues on in verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. May our lives, may we make the best use of the time. Being wise toward outsiders. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious. Is your speech gracious or legalistic? Gracious or judgmental? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, tasteful, fitting, witty talk, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. My year devotional going through the Proverbs um, has recently covered the topic of speech. Uh, this, I'm not writing this, it's, it's a Tim Keller devotional. And it's about the immense value of being wise with how we talk and listen and respond. You can say the right thing, have the right doctrine, but say it at the wrong time or in the wrong way, and you've messed up. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Speak with grace. Speak graciously, knowing how to answer each person. So how do we become mature in actions and attitude, relationships and speech? How do we aim to do these things without it becoming what Paul was warning about? Severity to the body, asceticism, religious effort by our own strength, and missing the freedom of the gospel. Let's consider how to mature spiritually. Firstly, look to the one who is worthy. Look to the one who is worthy. We want to walk in a way worthy of the gospel. Look to the one who is worthy. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay, so for those who are like, I think Jesus was just a good teacher. In Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay, just meditate on that. Soak that in. And you have been filled in him. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Of all rule and authority. He is the king of kings. Of all rule and authority in the heavenly things. Ver chapter 1, verse 15. This is a wonderful scripture, which Michael Watson read earlier in the service. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent or supreme. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the one who is worthy, Jesus Christ. The one who was fully God, the fullness of deity and Godhead dwelled bodily. He showed us what it looked like to live spiritually mature. And he's worthy of our everything because he is the one who created everything. All things are for him. And so we want to conform all things in our lives in his ways because it's good, because it's pleasing to the Father. Look to the one who is worthy and look to what he has done for you, what he's done for you to make this possible. Chapter 1, verse 10, he says they're praying for the Colossians, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. God strengthens us with power by his Holy Spirit. Depend on the power that comes from God that he wants to give you to live this way. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You've been qualified by Christ. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You've been delivered out of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of righteousness, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As you've received Christ, so walk in him, out of darkness into light, out of slavery into freedom out of sensuous, self-serving ways into selfless love and service. Colossians 1.19, for this I toil. There, there, there's a toil, there's a struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Sometimes you, you got to put in a little bit of effort, but it's not on you. You're praying. A lot of the effort comes from praying. Jesus, empower me for this. Jesus, I want to live in this way, not like the old self. Help me to put off the old self and to walk with you. Help me to see you in your, all your glory, to see how worthy you are. Help me to live in remembrance of the forgiveness that you've given me, the freedom that you've given me. To, to live in a ways that I have been transferred out of darkness into light. 
So I pray that you and I will look to Jesus, the worthy one, in whom all things were created, worthy of every part of our lives. As we sang, worthy of every song that we could ever sing. That we would remember what he has done for us, qualifying us, forgiving us, delivering us, adopting us into the kingdom of heaven, giving us a new identity. He's clothed us in love. And as we consider these things, we would be fueled with God's mighty power to have compassionate hearts, kindness and humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, submitting to one another, serving one another, loving one another, to grow into the fullness of spiritual maturity that God desires for us. I'd like to invite um, my wife to lead us in worship in this song. And would you pray with me that let's lean into God's power? Because we don't want this to be a severity to the body just trying to whip ourselves into shape. We need Jesus. Jesus, Lord, you are worthy of it all. Help our minds to comprehend just how great you are. Lord, we can be reminded of your power as we see natural disasters in the world or the great vastness of the canyons and mountains. We can be reminded of how vast you are as we look into the, the constellations and galaxies, into the complexity of creation. Lord, you are a creative one. And we pray that you would create within us a newness of life. Lord, you're worthy. All things are created for you. Lord, whatever things in our lives are not yet for you, we want to dedicate these things to you. Help us to consecrate these things to you. Sanctify every part in our lives for your glory. Lord, that you would have dominion over all things. Across Canada, but across every part of our lives as well. Jesus, it's by your power, and so we pray that you would strengthen us, give us life. Lord, would you fill our hearts with your praise, with songs, and also that we would speak your goodness into the world around us. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.